Hello, and welcome to The Get. I'm your host, Erica Seidel. This season, we examine the relationship between CMOs and boards. How can that relationship go from fraught to functional, and maybe even to fantastic? Today, we hear from Sandra Lopez. She is a marketing dynamo who has been in marketing leadership and general manager roles in many of the world's biggest and most influential tech companies, like Adobe, Intel, and Microsoft. She recently served as co-chair for the World Economic Forum for Augmented Reality and Virtual Reality. She also serves on the board of directors for Junior Achievement USA and Pure Red. She's an advisor for Cabra Sports and is the co-chair for Sports Integrity Global Alliance. You'll hear about how to educate the board on how long things take in marketing. As she says, it's hard to educate someone in 30 minutes, so you have to think creatively. You'll also learn about how to prepare for a board position and how to put your best foot forward when you interview with a board. And we discuss how nonprofit board work, chosen wisely, can be a great segue to for-profit board work. Here we go. Sandra Lopez, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on The Get and excited to hear your perspectives. Thank you for having me on board. Looking forward to having this conversation. Maybe you could just start by sharing an overview of your career path, because it's been such an interesting path that you followed. You know, you know, your B2B marketing, you know, your B2C marketing, you know, brand, you know, demand, like the whole shebang. Can you kind of just, you know, coalesce it a little bit? I always like to say I was kind of born and bred in Silicon Valley. So technology at the heart of everything. And I always had the aspiration to be a chief marketing officer. And Without anybody telling me as a mentor or sponsor, I just wanted to do my own journey. I wanted to create my own music. And so I created my own songbook in terms of what could that possibly look like. And what I knew is that whenever I became a CMO, I really wanted to understand the various sections of what entailed marketing. So I jumped from small company to large company, did everything from lead generation to brand strategy, worked in New York City, came back to Silicon Valley. And so I would say that my career trajectory, I always have to say the analogy like ways, I directionally knew where I wanted to go. But I also allowed myself to explore the unexpected neighborhoods. And that's where I did a pivot into the business unit, running a division, in particular wearables, and then I went into sports media. And a couple of things I learned from that pivot. One, I learned things about myself that I didn't know I was capable of, whether it's business development, effectively managing a P&L, and then how important it was to understand business language when it came to leading a marketing organization and driving those conversations to a C-level leadership team and or your board of directors. And so I'm unconventional, typically know where I want to go, but I allow myself to explore and paths. And I will continue to do so. I love this ways analogy. I think that's great. Do you think everybody who's an aspiring CMO should take a GM role? Or do you think it's like enough for them to kind of take a GM perspective within their marketing domain? Listen, I think everybody has their own journey. And all I can share is my particular point of view based on the type of leader that I want. So if I'm a CMO, focused on tangible business. We know that oftentimes when we're on an economic pitch, what happens? Your budgets get decreased. Headcount marketing is one of the first organizations that are impacted. But if you change the conversation and be able to illustrate how 
marketing drove tangible growth and or helped enter into adjacent markets. I do believe understanding running a P&L is very, very important. You're much more attuned to, we're going to do a brand strategy. Let's think about potential ASPS lift. Let's do some financial modeling, work very closely with the CFO um, and not working closely with the CFO in the context of like, what's your, you know, above the line, below the line budget. It's a very different conversation. If you want to be a CMO that's really leaning into creativity, then maybe not necessarily you don't have to become a GM and you're looking at more psychology, sociology and becoming much more of a culturist. So I think it really depends on what type of CMO you want to be. And I try to do a hybrid of growth. That in order to be a great CMO, you need to understand your consumer and where they're going and what's happening around them, both for business customer and or a consumer customer. And at the same time, really understanding, like, how do you drive marketing as a P&L? Makes sense. Can you share, since we're talking a lot about, you know, CMOs and board relationships, can you share a hard one lesson you have had um, from interacting with with a board, any board? And I always like to say strategy without execution is pure hallucination. So I like to be a strategist and be able to execute with my team. The role of a board of directors is ask the hard questions so you can help guide them and advise them towards, you know, their overall trajectory in terms of whatever their strategic imperatives are. And so moving from the doing and advising and knowing when to step back has been the mental rigor and challenge that I've had to take on. So it's really about asking the right questions and providing point of view. And ultimately, it's the C-level and the leadership team that have to decide what's best for the organization. So that shift was a struggle for me. And I still find myself sometimes wanting to like roll up my sleeves, help drive some of the strategies to execution. Is there something you tell yourself when you're worried that you're going to kind of dive into execution and, and but you want, really want to come up with a good question instead? Yeah, I have to remind myself every single time when I'm either part of the committee conversation and or at the board meeting. And we're having the one-to-one with the CEO. Remember, my responsibility and accountability is to advise them towards the right path based on the goals that we have all agreed to and knowing when to take a step back. And so I do that in every single interaction. A lot of it's just practicing, right? So I'm fairly new, about a, you know, over a year in and junior achievement, which is nonprofit, less than a year with the private board. And I do think it takes conditioning just like anything. And so I'm just, you know, practicing my trade, learning how to be the best board of directors for the companies that I said I would like to participate and believe I can add value. Can you talk about how you've educated a board about marketing, if you have, and what that looks like, what teaching, like, because many, many board members don't have marketing backgrounds and they might think that they know more about marketing than they actually do. Right. Interesting. And we were talking about this earlier that apparently there's only about 40 board members with marketing pedigree for Fortune 1000 and above. And so it's not familiar with the board of directors, right? There's a lot of people, the CEO, supply chain officers. And so when you're asking questions when it comes to marketing, this is where my P&L and general management come into play. I don't ask the traditional brand awareness questions. I think about, let's take a look at our revenue growth year, year projection. 
So I translate a lot of what is important to marketing in a language that will be familiar to CEOs, CFO. Because you have to remember like your board of directors and your fellow colleagues come from a different pedigree. And so as a CMO marketer, you find yourself oftentimes translating the language of marketing into vocabulary in which the CFO and CFO can really get behind and lean into the conversation. The worst thing is you bring a point and everybody just dismisses you. Mm. And so how do you bring a point that has people thinking and really leaning in so that we can advise the CEO and or this leadership team in terms of possible paths to move forward? And do you feel like CEOs and CFOs sometimes glom onto certain terms of marketing, but not others? You know, so in another one of these podcasts, we talked about how there are some terms that people just get, you know, they get ICP, they get persona, they get positioning more than they get branding, you know, and and have you have you found that to be the case where there's like some terms that that fly and that other marketing terms just flop? I mean, I think it's one of those things. It's just the perception that we have. Right. So I do believe what transpires is, is there's a perception of marketing. Marketing is about value proposition, positioning, logos, the PowerPoint presentation, helping sales sell in. And that's all familiar. And where you start to kind of gloss over is when you start to think about, uh, you know, they're all familiar with CTR. They've all been part of the digital transformation, but you start to think about, well, ultimately to cap long-term value to customer acquisition. And then you start to translate that and a CFO gets it right away. So... I do think there is this bias, you know, talking about customer segmentation and new customers. They get all that. Yeah. And then the question is, well, how is that going to translate to meaningful business impact? Because oftentimes in the board of directors, you're there to help grow. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about questions that you want to ask, I oftentimes think about like, how am I going to frame this question Mm. so that the CEOs of other companies that are part of board of directors or CFOs understand what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Is there any other example of like a before and after framing that comes to mind? It's easy to say, hey, we're going to go up market and reach a particular new customer segment. Sure. And I'm just being careful, I'm not disclosing information that's confidential. So I'll give you just like a generic example. We're going to go after this new customer segment. And then the question will be, well, let's think about that segment and the cost of entry, right? What will be the ROI? What is the additional revenue that could be generated if we're going to bring on this new customers? This se- customer segment cares about this. This is demographics. This is the attitudes. This is what we think of the market opportunity, a high level. But like, you got to keep on pushing. Mm. Yeah, this is maybe a market size that represents $1 billion, potentially. That's a total gap. But how... Have we done the analysis of what this segment can bring from additive revenue over the next five years? How much do we need to invest? What does that investment strategy look like? So that goes back to the failed to get CAC to eventually capture that. What happens from an operations? What happens from customer service? This new customer segment is radically different from our current customer base, which means that we have to operate there. So this is not just an exercise around new customer segmentation. This is like operations. You've got to have to think about customer service. There are so many elements that come into play. And so that's one example that I always like to use is that it's easy to have 
the CMO come in, talk about a new market segment, and then it's your job as a board of directors. And being a marketer, you have like many of us have gone through this before. We know that it's just much more than doing effective direct marketing and using digital marketing. There are elements that come into play that touch other organizations. Mm. So really thinking about that and kind of framing those conversations is like another example that I like to use that typically marketers are really good at is in terms of knowing your customer, what does mid segmentation look like, but what does it really mean to enter into that market segment? Yeah. Do you need to hire different types of personnel in terms of driving conversations with them? So really framing it going back to, I always like to say, like, you just go back to think like a CFO. Yeah. I think that really helps. And we, because we have only 40 or so CMOs in the board of directors, we have the responsibility on our shoulders to illustrate that we can drive very meaningful business have you seen a really good way of learning how to be that CMO who thinks like a CFO? You know, is it shadowing the CFO? Is it, um, I, I don't know, like asking for, you know, like, you know, sharing goals and, and, and coming up with some kind of like translation dictionary or something like, 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 is there anything that comes to mind there? I love all your ideas. So shadowing is always great. And then oftentimes, you know, they're not necessarily available because you have a busy calendar. So you have to kind of be realistic in terms of what's feasible. And so if you think about an exercise that you're doing at marketing, so let's think about the hottest thing, performance-based marketing, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's talking about that. It requires digital transformation, which oftentimes means you need to sit down with your CTO. Can you sit down with your CFO and agree? on the L to V to CAC ratio. What does that mean? And what does that look like? Can you start modeling P&Ls? I always like to tell individuals, kind of hate the word performance marketing because the reality is you're a mini GM. You're responsible for revenue and hitting targets. And in order to drive performance-based marketing, you have a MarTech stack that's underneath, which actually costs money, whether it's licensing, right. whether you're building with your IT department to build out some technology and features, which they're going to charge back to you. And so that to me is like, it's the spirit of like, there's cost, there's revenue, there's efficiencies, and there's margins that you have to. So performance-based marketers, to me, I always tell them like, you guys are running a P&L. Like, mm-hmm. Reframe what your accountability responsibility is. And I know if you have, if you're codependent and you have a sales department and they're not getting the lead flow, they're going to point fingers at you because they need that. And so you're directly tied to revenue. And so that's one example that I think you can sit there with your CFO and you bring them along the journey and build a relationship. And so you have to meet with your CFO then on a monthly basis and or like a weekly basis, depending on how you're looking at your numbers. And then you start to like, have those times to ask curiosity and ask them about different things. Oftentimes when you are looking at brand architecture strategies and you're redeveloping an entire, you have multiple logos, you're trying to simplify, mm-hmm. what will that impact in terms of lesser choice? Is it going to cannibalize one or the other products? That's yet another opportunity to bring a CFO into the journey and talk about, let's do some modeling together. Oftentimes what I have seen is free and architecture strategies that talk about the business rationale, but there's no financial number. They'll talk to you about what it's going to cost, what it's going to cost to overhaul the entire thing and all the collateral that needs to get updated, both analog and digital. Yet I never see if we were to simplify the brand, what could this look like from a financial standpoint? 
or if we're going to do a massive brand transition and reposition the brand in its totality from one point to another point, will it alienate your existing customer base? And if so, well, what could that be from a sales perspective? So you can model all this stuff. You can sitting down with the There are tools and there are abilities. I've done this before. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to any CMO or any marketing person that's eager to go into a board seat and starting to like practice the language of a CFO is take some existing projects where you're like, wow, if I were to do this with a CFO, what could we model financially? Mm. And then over time, your CFO becomes your mentor and will, an advisor to you. And, and that's what happened to me when I was at Intel. I had an inv- individual helped guide me as we were going through marketing strategy, repositioning efforts, and really understanding the overall business. So CMOs can fail, as you know, uh, because boards and CEOs have these expectations of, uh, you know, you should be able to do marketing you know, overnight and turn around something overnight. And then CMO, there's, so there's this debate about, you know, like, oh, you should do this faster. And then a CMO will say, oh, it, it takes time. How do you think marketing leaders can kind of manage those expectations with boards about how long things take? You're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of education and times we've had this conversation in the past that everybody feels they can do more. Yes. No, I learned a framework that I thought was very helpful that came from state, which is the strategic decision-making framework. If you're going on a journey and you're seeking to solve a problem, oftentimes like your C-level and yourself, you're not on the same page of what problem you're trying to solve. So go in and understand like, what problem are we solving? Are we on the same position? Mm-hmm. The other thing too is like, and what are the milestones? Here's why it takes time to do market research right? Mm. We want to capture not only part of our customer segment, we are a global brand by very nature. We have to go to Europe, we have to go to like Asia, and we want enlarged sampling. And we also want to pivot along the way as we're learning about some research around specific focus groups. And we want to get this right, because once you get the idea, then you go into execution, and it's going to cost much more if we get it wrong. So there's going to be five-month window of market research. Hmm. And then you go into production. I'm like, why does production take forever? And you just have to explain in terms of what you're trying to get accomplished and Hmm. how you're going to pull it out. And so oftentimes what I find myself learning is that you have to bring your C-level onto the journey. And I always like to do like, here's critical milestones. Hey, we learned this from this focus group in the United States and in Europe. Here's what we're learning. It didn't necessarily necessarily align to our hypothesis. We think we're going to pivot. Here are three options. What are your thoughts? Hmm. So now the person's like actually joining you in your journey and is part of it. And you help educate along the way. So you've got to look at these big strategic initiatives as opportunities to help educate and bring them along the journey. And I always do check checkpoints. And I know sometimes my team members are like, you're slowing down the process because you're sitting down with your C, you know, C level. I'm like, no, actually... I'm speeding up the process. So when we're down the road and my CEO has some feedback, which requires us to go back and redo production, that elongates the process. So thinking about these check-ins with your senior leadership is important. Mm-hmm. Realize it's always an education and ask a lot of questions like, why do you think focus groups should take one? How do you think the process is? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you why the process is the way it's it is, and we're learning and adjusting, and we're left to technology to move the process much faster. It used to be, you know, eight months. Now we're doing five months. So I, I do think, like, also ask, why do they believe something should be done a certain way? 
helps drive self-awareness that they really don't understand the underpinnings. Mm. Yeah, that's really smart. And the, the idea that people don't learn something in half an hour, right? It's like in the, in the way you educate somebody is not by saying like, everything you're doing is wrong. This is how you should do it. It's it's almost like you kind of sidle up to them and you're like, oh, eight out of the 10 things, 10 ways you see this are right. And then here are the remaining two need to be, you know, kind of adjusted in this way. I do think it's much more of a discussion. Listen, you're on the same team. I mean, fundamentally, like you and your leadership are on the same team and you're creating the playbook. And so sometimes like the playbook, like, oh, you know what? Your C-level has a point of view that I could have overlooked. And you're like, you know what? Your point's extremely valid. I'm going to take that in. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they have a very strong point of view. And based on all your history and all it, you're like, this is going to send us in the wrong direction. And you just have to take time and say, let me show you the pros and cons. Yeah. What I've learned is like, don't say no right away to your leadership. Provide the framework. Help them understand so that you can land in the best outcome for the shareholders. I always say like, at the end of the day, we're on the same team. It's about the shareholders. And when I say shareholders, it's the your employees. C-level, the board of directors, if you have stock, you know. Mm -hmm. Let me segue a little bit here. And I would love to hear your thoughts about nonprofit boards as a way for marketing leaders to kind of get some practice and transition towards being on for-profit boards. Listen, I've had amazing mentors helping me guide me through the path to board of directors. And I started, I was three years before I landed my first board. And everybody has a different point of view. Everybody's going to advise you. And so, again, I'm going to provide one perspective. I was open to a nonprofit board, but I've also worked at nonprofits before in terms of giving my time. Mm -hmm. And so you have to pick judiciously. What do you want to get out of it? So I wanted to get my practice in. I guess I've done some board readiness programs, but nothing like you can do all the training, but it's nothing like showing up and playing. Yeah. And so I looked at who was leading the board, I looked at the board composition and they were all highly successful C-level executives that have board experience of private and public. And I knew that and how they run their operations gave me the feeling of a private in our public board. So I decided to do that. That was the right thing for me. And so when I tell people like, really think about the board that you want to join your first one. Look at what you're trying to get out of it. It's in, in this project. One, it aligns to my values and giving back to the future generation. So synergistically, I'm like, yes, love junior achievement. They were part of my life when I was growing up. Two, I look at the composition. What does it look like? And three, how do they function? And they function very akin to a private board. And so that gives me the exposure, the experience, and bringing that value to another private board in terms of just getting that practice in and knowing what I'm responsible for as board of directors. How did you figure out how they functioned? There's a lot of board readiness curriculum that exists there. So sure. you have the National Association of Corporate Directors. If you take a look at them, they have some programs. Julie, who's the CEO of How We Lead here in San Francisco, has a robust board readiness program. And you learn. You learn what's expected of you. You also learn the liability that you have for publicly traded you also learn the time required. Everybody's like thinks that you're going to be there for the one supporter. And no, it's a lot more that mm -hmm. you have to contribute. You have to be well read. You have to read the materials in advance. You have most part of a committee. So if you're part of the committee, you have to meet 
outside of the board meeting. And so my recommendation is participate in board readiness programs and mm-hmm. you'll meet you actually will build your network and some of them will land boards. And a lot of that landing a board is no dissimilar from a job in terms of the power of the networking. If somebody's going to recommend you for a particular board and that's how the doors open. So both of the boards that I've landed have been part of my network. Mm-hmm. It has not been me necessarily knowing that the board position's open and reaching out to the CEO and the chairman. It has been through my network. Let's talk about interviewing with boards, like whether that's for a board seat or a CMO seat. How should they uh, kind of prepare? How should they appear? And what questions might be most, you know, surprising, you know, based on your experience? At least my experience, it's so different from delay landing job. Yeah. Because they've already identified you based on the background and pedigree. In most cases, they already know and that you've already been highly recommended by somebody in your network. That, you know, Sondra would be a really great fit. Here's her pedigree. Here's what she's done. She's really great for digital transformation. You know, she's an advocate for the underrepresented community. And so she can add value from a people culture standpoint as well. They know you're back. It is all pretty much done. So you're just sitting there and you're having conversations just to see, can, can I sit there with you for a couple hours and have meaningful business conversations during the board meeting? Can I sit there and have that dinner conversation with you? Oftentimes there's a dinner the day before or the night of. It's about click. You have to click as a board. And you are also, personality-wise, can I get along with the various members? And you interview with a couple, you not all of them. And you have conversations about your personal life, philosophies. And, and I w- what I'd suggest is like, just be yourself. Just be yourself. They'll get to know you. They're just getting to know you. You're getting to know them. Yes, prepare about the company. People will say, take every board interview because you expand your network. I've taken a different approach. Like I, people reached out to me for various board positions. And I remember one, it was all about supply chain and it was about transportation. And I was so honored that they considered me and they were considering me from a digital transformation. But I was looking at the board requirements and the skill sets that they were looking for, the top three. And I'm like, I have that. <laughs> and I said, to the uh, individual that was recruiting for him, like, you know what? Super honored, yet it's not going to be the right fit because I will not add value for what they're looking for from a talent perspective. And yes, could I appreciate networking with them? Yeah, but I'm also, time is very, it's the most precious commodity. If I already know I'm not going to be the right fit, I decided to bow out. And so people were going to give you different advice. Other people would say like, you should have taken, you know, you should have gone through the interview process and met more people. And I'm like, that's okay time is too precious. So we have all different ways of how to land boards and recommendations. Mine is one recommendation of many on your journey to be a board member. But I would say, look at the requirements, know what your contribution is going to be. Mm -hmm. Be very crystal clear about that because they're going to look to your filling an important role. And oftentimes when, and some of the boards, they're going to pay you. Think about the ROI that you're delivering. Are they getting every dime's worth out of what they're compensating you for to be a board of directors. Yeah. And I feel it's the same thing when you're interviewing for a CMO job, right? If you get a, a, you know, approached about a job and it's not quite the right fit for you, 
it's probably better to kind of educate whoever it is, the recruiter, the CEO, you know, whatever, because it's 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 like good karma, you know, like, you, you know, the right. person might then say, oh, okay, this is maybe not the right fit. But then there's something else that, you know, like the recruiter, like I've had that conversation with, with candidates where they're like, okay, no, sounds like you're looking for ABC. I'm more XYZ. And then I might call them up in a month like, oh, actually, you said XYZ, you clarified and, and you know, here we have something that's a little more aligned. 100% agree with you. Very, I mean, I think ultimately you, you want to set yourself up for success. You want to land a board seat so then you're recommending somebody else for yet another board seat. And that's how the flywheel affects and eventually mm-hmm. like, you know, retire from your full-time job. And so when you're looking for board seats, you also like try to find somebody, it's called overboarded where some, somebody has way too many boards and board opportunities will come to him, she, her, or they. Mm-hmm. And they'll, hey, I'm already, like, I'm boarded up. And then they'll say, hey, but I know somebody else that's interested. And mm-hmm. so look for those individuals that are boarded up that are passing on opportunities because they have too many boards. That's a great way just to start to open up the doors. Uh, yeah, boarded up. That's funny. Yeah, and I, it's funny you say that because I give that team feedback to people who are looking for CMO jobs. I say, like, you know, identify, you know, I don't know, three, five, 10 CMOs who have the job you want, because right. they're probably going to get pinged about roles that you would want too. And maybe they don't want that role or the timing isn't right or the location isn't right or whatever. But, you know, you want them to pass on to you what they are saying no to themselves. And it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. And you say that just to people and people are like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. So. No, it's you're absolutely right. Any other thoughts about how a CMO should be interviewing uh, with the board? Aside, aside from, you know, kind of making sure that there is that click and aside from, you know, having the, the things that you want to get out of it, anything else that a CMO should be kind of alert to as they're interviewing with a board? I would say like have the conversation around like, hey, there's not a lot of CMOs in board seats. Why is that? Yeah. What are you guys looking for? Mm-hmm. Why are you considering myself that has a pedigree and what is of interest to you? Like those, I think those are interesting, very interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes as CMOs, like one thing that we've had to go through over the last decade or so or more is digital transformation. That is a skill set that many companies continue to look for. Right. And so think about like, let's put like that part of your job. You could add value, like help me understand where the organization is from a digital transformation. Hey, I have expertise in XYZ. Do you think that could be a value to the organization or the board? So I would say digital transformation is a hot skill set that all industries are looking for to see, to understand. And we as marketers have had to go through. And then the other thing too, like it's often overlooked, but I would say great marketers, agnostic of B2B and B2C, we know where the puck is going. We're very in tune with like society and human beings and how they interact and how they like to buy. That intuition, a CFO does not usually, maybe a CEO from a visionary standpoint, Steve Jobs is a perfect example, but we as marketers have such a solid understanding and saying, do you understand what's about to happen to your business with generative AI? And what we're seeing and how it's going to impact the, your customer set and or you, internally within the organization and driving those type of conversations. Those are really good in terms of bringing that expertise that you have as a marketer around 
culture, society, buying habits, that helps inform when a company is going through like an organizational transformation. Yeah. And oftentimes we're finding ourselves going through organizational transformation at an accelerated rate. We just got out of COVID. We tried to figure out hybrid. We're still trying to figure out hybrid. And now generative AI is on the horizon. So it's nonstop. Your value will always be there. And I think a lot of it is framing of the conversation that we as marketers need to do a better job on. My final question is just any thoughts on how we can increase that proportion of board seats that are filled by marketers? I just don't hear the, the marketing community talking about. It. It's ironic. I was at, on a, a podcast and we were talking about this very big. And I, I rarely, when I interact with my fellow marketing colleagues at various levels, boards are not on their list of kind of professional development plan. Mm. I'm like, well, not. So I think we as marketers have the opportunity to drive a greater conversation at the various marketing conferences that exist in terms of why CMOs need to have a seat at the table from a board perspective and articulating the business rationale. I just don't, I don't hear it. Yeah. And you look at marketing conferences that exist and the CMO council and all the, you know, together from a smaller community. And I look at the paneling, I look at the programming. What have you seen programming around why do CMOs have to see the table of board of directors? It's rare. I don't think I've ever seen it. Mm. And so I think it starts with us in terms of driving the conversation and then challenging the industry at large. I mean, we're marketers. We can come up, we can unify and come up with campaigns and get executive recruiters and get, you know, chairmen and CEOs to think about us. Yeah. Maybe we'd see more from 40, yeah. like, you know, I'm a very big, like, okay, our KPI can, so we have 40 now. Can we, can we look at list adding 20 more? Right. By the end of the year. Right. And the only way to do that is through creating, which we all know, awareness and converting awareness to action, which is leaning a couple of people on board seats. So I'm happy to assist, provide guidance. I'm a very big believer that we need more marketers and board seats. That is part of diversity of thought. We talk about board composition and we need diversity anchored on ethnicity. Mm -hmm. I think ethnicity, disability, and different functions represented. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Sandra. It's been great to have you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you for leaning in and helping drive awareness. And hopefully we'll see 20 more CMOs on board seats by the end of the, the year. That's the KPI. All right. Awesome. Sandra Lopez. Thank you. That was Sandra Lopez. Now that you've heard from her, think about what steps you can take this year to prepare yourself for board service. And how can you add to the momentum of more marketing leaders in board seats? Next time on The Get, your guest will be me. We're going to review the top themes from this season, the key ahas and tips on how CMOs can best interact with boards from before they join a company to while they're in the CMO seat to when they join boards themselves. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to The Get. I'm your host, Erica Seidel. The Get is here to drive smart decisions around recruiting and leadership in B2B SaaS marketing. We explore the trends, tribulations, and triumphs of today's top marketing leaders in B2B SaaS. If you liked this episode, please share it. For more about The Get, visit thegetpodcast.com. To learn more about my executive search practice, which focuses on recruiting the make money marketing leaders rather than the make it pretty ones, follow me on LinkedIn or visit theconnectivegood.com.
The Get is produced by Evo Terra of Simpler Media Productions. <laughs>